The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Benched with Bubba, a couple things I'd like to talk to you about. First, Draft.com. It's a great way to play daily fantasy sports, snake-style drafts, just the way you like them, so you don't have to worry about any of the ownership issues or anything like that. They also have auction style and awesome best ball stuff. They got NFL best balls in full force. They got baseball, golf, uh, basketball, football overall throughout the season. And if you want to try it out, make your first deposit. Use promo code SD Sports. SD as in dog sports. And you get a free $3 entry to any tournament of your choice, including best balls. So tons of great stuff there. They even have a $25 NFL best ball for the million-dollar winner up top. So great stuff going on at Draft.com. Draft in your app store. Promo code SD Sports. If you give a rating and review on iTunes for Bench with Bubba, I'd much, much appreciate it. We keep continuing to help the podcast get bigger and better and help me out and mean a lot to me to put a couple minutes of your time to give a rating and review. Um, with all that being said, though, welcome to an awesome episode of Bench with Bubba. It's episode 176 with Mike Florio talking Week 10 Fab and much, much more. everybody to another episode of bench with bubba episode 176 we'll recap some of this past weekend's tgfbi fab action some recent news including some sad prospects news for many of a popular prospect ad of late and some week recent weekend uh, happenings in order to do so be joined by a special guest you can find him on twitter at michael f florio mike how we doing man I'm good, man. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on. I'm a big fan of the show, and I'm excited to talk some uh, some fantasy baseball. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm pumped to have you on as well. It's been cool getting to know you over the last few months uh, on the Twitter and uh, getting to chat with you for about an hour or so. It's going to be a lot of fun. So, but before we get into it all, I want you to let everybody know where they can find all of your awesome work. So you can find me on Twitter, like you said, at Michael F. Florio. Probably the best place to follow me to get all my work in one spot. But uh, I have a Fantasy Baseball Patreon page right now that I'm putting out content on pretty much daily. Uh, and then I do a lot of football and baseball writing uh, for Fantrax as well. So either of those two sites are the best spot to find me right now. And then in football season, uh, I'll be doing some writing as well at, at those two places and at NFL.com. Sweet, sweet. Busy man there, Michael Florio. Let's get into it. Uh, some recent news. Jay Bruce, he didn't spend much time in Seattle, but that's what we expect at the uh, dealing to Potos up there. He is off to Philadelphia to fill a void in left field. What are your thoughts on uh, Jay Bruce going from Seattle to Philly? Does, does it kind of pique your interest a little more in the fantasy world? A tad, only because it's an obvious uh, park shift upgrade. It's an obvious uh, lineup upgrade, I, I would imagine, as well. Uh, but 
Jay Bruce, the one thing he was doing well this year is hitting for power, and I don't see that changing. He hits the ball hard. We know he has a 39.5% hard hit rate this year. He's hitting probably too many fly balls, and I'm not a guy who thinks there's such thing often as too many fly balls, but 58.8% fly ball rate. That explains the low average, the low BABIP, at least in my opinion, the balls that don't leave the park are getting caught. Uh, I think more balls will leave the park in Philly, but... Uh, the playing time concerns are still there. He can get left field. Uh, we we have seen them without Odubel Herrera now be in need of an outfielder. But Scott Kingery has been playing pretty good. So I don't know if he fully goes away. I think this this hurts Bruce. I think this hurts Mikel Franco uh, for fantasy. But And Scott Kingery, I'm kind of up in the air on because I want to see this playing time shape up before I know for sure that he is still going to be in there every day. Yeah, I'm with you there. It, it is intriguing. Definitely a better ballpark, better hitting opportunity there in Philadelphia. But I'm glad you mentioned Scott Kingery since he's, you know, just overall the season as a whole, but since his return from his little stint on the IL, he's been a lot better. He's been more like the guy we expected last year when the Phillies gave him the extension. He's looked really, really good. Uh, he's hitting lefties really, really well, dug in on that today as they face Lauer in San Diego. So it'll be interesting if they see a platoon. I, but I agree that the big hurt could be Mikel Franco, a guy that, you know, jumped onto the scene to start the season really kind of fell off here of late. It's a guy that many a fantasy fan and analyst has wanted to bust out, and he's just never put it together. So, um, yeah, I'm with you. I think Kingery's an interesting call there as well, but Bruce Power should still be there. It should be big, and those fly balls should go a little farther out of the ballpark. Let's go to a couple of the possible free agents as the number one pick in the draft just went off about five minutes ago. So now it's official. Craig Kimbrell, Dallas Keuchel, they can sign wherever they want, and there's no draft pick attached to them. Let's start for fun. Craig Kimbrell, he's linked to you know Chicago. He's linked to Tampa Bay. He's linked to Boston. He's linked to Atlanta. If you had to pick a perfect world, for especially a fantasy world, where do you want him? I would want him, for perfect fantasy world, I'd want him to go back to Boston. Uh, they're right now using a, a trio of options uh, at – to pick up saves for them. It, I don't really feel can say with confidence who's going to get the next save opportunity there day to day. Uh, I think ultimately uh, that would be a good spot for him. We'll get a little bit more, you know, we'll know predictability with, with another closing scenario. And I also don't want it to be Atlanta who I think is a, is a strong possibility because I have Luke Jackson. So that would be a big blow to some of my fantasy teams. If Kimbrell ended up in Atlanta. So selfishly I'm rooting for Boston. Boston makes the most sense. I'm 100. Either there or, or the Cubs. I can see both of those making a ton of sense. That Cubs bullpen, like revolving door, there has been a mess via either bad production or injuries in Chicago. But you hit it on the head with the Atlanta deal. Most of these spots, not all of them, like you said, Boston, most of these, wherever he goes, is going to make a, another fantasy owner very unhappy. That has been holding <laughs> on to something for a while. So it'll be interesting to see where he lands. I'm honestly surprised he hasn't already signed yet. I figured. They would have had something kind of locked in, ready to roll the second this uh, eligibility was uh, became happening today. But I guess we'll see how that goes. Now it comes to Dallas Keuchel, a little different, you know, not exactly the same needs, but a lot of teams can use a fourth, fifth, third starter even on some of these teams with injuries and whatnot. Where do you see him possibly going? And his and what are his overall like with him? It's different than Kimbrel. What's his like fantasy impact this year? Uh, where he ends up, uh, I I don't. I have a stronger feeling about Kimbrough than Keuchel. It seems like so many teams are linked to Keuchel. And really, what team can't use, uh, you know, another starting pitcher at this point in the season? Where do I ultimately think he ends up? I know the Yankees are a strong possibility. Uh, I I guess I'll go with them. But as a Met fan, I kind of selfishly hope not again. Uh, I I have a lot more confidence in Kimbrell, though, once both of these guys sign Kimbrell. I don't think we'll need nearly as much time to tune up. Even though Keiko was saying he was pitching ninety, throwing ninety five pitches every five days at the start of the year to stay in shape, but that was the one concern I've been seeing on Twitter. People, teams are apparently afraid of these players not really getting back into shape and being ready until July, which to me is, I think that's once again a a, a ploy to devalue these players, but. Kimbrell, I mean, how how much seasoning does he need? How much work does he need to be ready to throw 20 pitches? You know, yep. I think Kimbrell comes in and closes wherever he signs. Yep, I'm 100% with you. That's, that's the difference between the two is, sure, Keiko, he might have an impact by season's end. 
but his as much as they want to say he's been pitching there's game ready and there's just practice ready those are two completely different things so it'll be interesting to see how that works and maybe he is more game ready than you expect but uh, I don't see him just jumping into the fold and making it happen but yeah Kimbrell you know he could be thrown on the side every third day and he could he could be closing by Sunday or Friday even if they signs tomorrow just because he should be ready to rock and roll so I'm with you there It'll be fun to see how it plays out. Um, and I, I know these guys are swiped up. They're pretty much owned everywhere in fantasy. But uh, it'll be fun to see how it works. After all that waiting, we should see some results here pretty soon. Sad injury over the weekend. Joey Gallo, oblique injury. He, he It's typical baseball. You know, you get injured. He takes a swing, holds his side. It was bad enough. And what's he do? Oh, he takes another pitch and swings again just to probably make it work the worst. We saw that with Stanton in the past and some other guys. So Joey Gallo goes on a 10-day I.L., they recalled the line of the shields. I hate these injuries. I tweeted about it. Like these oblique injuries, you never know how they heal, right? There's no per- perfect timetable, and it does zap power. Given Gallo has like 550-foot power, so what's it really zapping? But it is scary. What's your thoughts on Joey Gallo? Yeah, I think if you own Joey Gallo, there, I think you hit the nail on the head. The only emotion you should be feeling right now is scared because especially it was a grade two oblique strain, and when you hear grade two, you don't think – days or weeks I think you should be thinking weeks or months that that really is how long these oblique injuries can linger it's like you said you we never truly know with an oblique when a player is going to come back and even when they come back how long it's going to take them to be themselves I get it Joey Gallo has immense power but what I worry is he was finally starting to hit for more contact this year. Is it going to impact that at all? Is it going to impact the groove he was in? Is it going to impact how he can swing? And is he, is it going to change what he's been doing this year? So I, I am worried about Joey Gallo because it, it one could be a lengthy absence and two, it very much so could hinder his play on the field once he's returned. Yeah. Cause it's one of those we've seen in the past. Like we'll look at Aaron judge. We thought he'd be back weeks ago and he's still out. And then, you know, the, sometimes they think it's healthy. He comes in, takes one rip, and then he tears it even more or injures it even more. It's really hard to see because they, they want to come back so soon. So the proper rehab is going to be really interesting here because we all want Joey Gallo back. I think there's a good chance. I think you might agree with me here. We're not going to see Gallo in the home run derby like we all wanted to this year. No, I don't think we will at all. Even if he's back by then, why would they let him risk it? And, and exactly. I do think the fact that the Rangers are not – they're not in it, like, competing this year. I, I think that's they're going to be take their time with Joey Gallo. Like, why risk his long-term health by at it, by any stretch? Even if he comes back and hurts it and he's fine for next year. But, like, why put his long-term health in, in any sort of jeopardy this season? It doesn't make sense for them. Completely agree. And, you know, just saying that comment about the Derby, it made me think, and it kind of sucks now. It's, it's the first year they're putting up, like, I think a million bucks to the winner or something. And there's a great chance we get no Stanton, no Judge, no Gallo. That's just, that's just – close it down. I am – I mean, I am a Met fan. I'm hoping oh, Pete Alonso yeah. does it. He's, he's got to. He, it's, it, why, how can't he? That, that's the I, <laughs> Oh, man. Big, big meat Pete up there would be amazing. That guy is something special. Like, like for fun, you, you just brought his name up. Like, what, where, what projections kind of idea – you don't need perfect numbers, but, like – what do you think he does by season's end? Because we, we, you know, we were happy he made the club to start the year, but I, I think you'd even agree he's outperforming our expectations right now. Oh, he <laughs> head and shoulders has yeah. like I thought he was their best first base option. I thought he should be hitting for them. I like I thought I mean I thought he should have been up to start the year. I liked when they had him in the two hole to start. I did not think he was going to become their best hitter overnight. One of the best power hitters in baseball. I mean, what do I realistically? I think we easily see forty home runs. Nice, nice. That would be huge because people got him in what ninth, tenth round, if not later, in fifteen teamers. Like that's that's uh, that's winning your fantasy league type stuff. That's, I'll that's I'll give credit where it's due. Derek Cardi does great work, and the yeah. bat has uh, Alonzo projected to hit twenty six more homers this year. Twenty six more. So on top of what does he have? Nineteen right now? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Quick math. Forty five. <laughs> That's outstanding. Even if he comes up short of 40, let's say, I mean. I 35 or more, you're so far ahead of what you thought he was going to do. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I think coming into the year, I was probably guessing 25 to 30. Yeah, because well, there was a realistic chance people thought, you know, if he struggles, he's going back to the minors. Like, 
I, there, there was there was all ends of the spectrums. Like, oh, there's people that obviously thought, okay, he's making the club, he's here to stay. But as we'll get to shortly, we've seen that not work many times already this year. So this has worked out perfectly. Yeah, yeah, this could not have gone any better. Yeah, no doubt about it. Something that's not going good is the Milwaukee Brewers starting rotation. It, it hindered them last year in the postseason. And it's kind of their bugaboo this year. And they're still playing great ball, of course. But Julius Chassin uh, heads to the 10-day IL with an injured lower back. We know back injuries can be a big problem, and they can linger for a long time. And the only good part about this is Jimmy Nelson gets the call up. It was weird. When he was rehabbing, we thought he'd come up to the bigs. Well, when he was activated, he went back to AAA. Well, now he's up. What's your thoughts on Jimmy Nelson? Because people were really excited. He got sent back down to AAA, and then kind of the excitement level left the room. But now he's back. Yeah, I – I will start off by saying I have since his days of being a top prospect, I have been on the Jimmy Nelson hype train. Like I, I am a very big fan of his and, and not having him the last year and a half has has sucked uh, as a fan of his. But I think what the Brewers did, giving him some more time, uh, really worked out. His first appearance of the year was in relief. He didn't pitch very well in it. And then his second outing. He started it, but again, gave up three runs in just over five innings. But two of his last three outings have been really strong. Five and two-thirds, no runs, and then uh, five innings, no earned runs. So two of his last three outings, he's been pitching better. And I think people, because whenever there's a lengthy absence like this, I think people tend to forget what the player was, how good he may have been before the injury. And Jimmy Nelson was awesome in 2017. He was averaging over 10 strikeouts per, per nine. He had an ERA of 3.49, but the FIP was 3.05. The XFIP was 3.15. Like I said, he was getting a ton of strikeouts. He was limiting the walks. So I, I'm a big Nelson fan. I'm excited for him. All that being said, he is not in any of my lineups this week, and on Wednesday will not be either. I, it's his first start in almost in over in like a year and a half. I do not want that in my lineup. Uh, it, maybe adrenaline will carry him through to a strong outing, but. You know, with the rust and, and all that factoring in, I'd rather give him a starter to see it that he is back and then get him in my lineup rather than his first outing. He's a little rusty. He gets shelled and hurts my my ERA and my whip. No, I think that's, that's great advice there. Um, a couple of things you mentioned. People do forget how great of a pitcher he was in 2017. That year he was having, he was like on his path to be a top five Cy Young candidate, if not top three or something. Then the injury happened and we can't do anything about that. But uh, you made a great point. And I do it with a lot of starting pitchers. You have to be pretty elite and have an elite matchup. When you come back from the IL, I like to see a starter too. When you come back from the IL in situation that or IL slash getting called up for the minors like Jimmy Nelson is, I really want to see what you got up there. So I'm with you 100% there. I think he's could, you know, we're all assuming he's healthy now. I think he could be in for a nice big season. But uh, yeah, take it slow with him. I think the, the Brewers will take it slow because. They want him healthy in the postseason because they're going to need him at least in September, hopefully into October. So good call there. A couple other guys returning from injury pretty soon. D.D. Gregorius coming back for the Yankees. Um, You're a Mets fan, so I'm assuming you're not a Yankees fan. I'm not a Yankees fan, but um, you got to at least admire or not admire, be somewhat impressed with what they've pulled off this season considering all the injuries they have and they're still dominating the AL East. And now they're getting Didi back. They're going to get Stanton and Judge back here pretty soon. Didi's going to jump back in there at shortstop. Do you have like? Do you expect similar results as last season? The rest of this way. I think once he's a similar, a different scenario because he's a pitcher, or not a pitcher, obviously. But I still think you know with a lengthy absence like that coming back early on, you you need to ease your expectations. But once he is you know back and and reacclimated in the MLB, yeah, I do think he can. Uh, sustain what he did last year and I'll tell you this for years Didi Gregorius was one of my least favorite players because every year he made me look so wrong like I kept every year I'd say oh his home run pace from the year before is not sustainable he barely even makes hard contact and then he would just do it again and prove me wrong but last year there was actually a change there his he had a career high 36 percent hard hit rate whereas every other year you know he's 23 24 25 so that is a huge change and he continues to lift the ball over 40% of the time. He is just one of these players that I think if he played on any other team, he wouldn't even be fantasy relevant. But in that good Yankees lineup, and he is a swing that is just made for Yankee Stadium with that short porch out in right field. So I do think that I would give him a week or two to, to kind of get reacclimated. He's coming back off of a serious injury, missed a lot of time. 
But I do think that once he is back, I, I do think he can be the D.D. Gregorius of old. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. It, it felt like he took a little longer for him to come back this year than I think we thought at draft time because he's one of those guys that a lot of people, including myself in a couple leagues, like with your, one of your last picks, you took him thinking, okay, I can wait a month. Well, between all the injuries that have taken place and it kind of took a little longer to get him up, a lot of people didn't have him. They picked him up of late, but I think this is a big move. It uh, really helps that infield. Now you have uh, Glaber Torres and, and DJ LeMay who can, can take second and third base respectively with, uh, you know, Andahar being out for the year and everything. So it's just strengthening this team. When they get Stanton and Judge back, it's going to make all of us non-Yankee fans not so happy with what <laughs> they're about to do to the rest of baseball. Um, the Red Sox, speaking of non-Yankee fans, Nate Yavaldi, there's a chance he's going to throw a similar game this Friday. Could be back by mid-June. We know he did in the postseason last year. I thought he threw way too many pitches, and I was kind of wondering what the – it felt like the Red Sox were doing a thank you contract this offseason. And he's already gotten hurt this year with the injuries he's had before. But, again, coming back in mid-June, we know what he can do. What's your thoughts on Eovaldi coming back soon? Eovaldi is a pitcher that I'm very intrigued with. He was dropped in a lot of leagues because of the, the bad performance and then the injury. I wanted to pick him up. in. A, I share a league with a, a good buddy of both of ours, uh, Frank Stanfield and uh, Greg mm-hmm. Sussman. Yep. Big Frank Stanfield, uh, uh, the BFFs, Team BFFs. And uh, we, in a league we're in, it's a 15-team league, and you have all these out there, but there's no IL spots, there's no minor league spots. And we have, we're, we're stat, we have Fernando Tatis we're holding on to, we have Giancarlo Stanton, Zach Eflin, and now we have uh, Keston that we have to sadly hold on to on our bench. So we, we didn't pull the trigger last night when Fab ran on Eovaldi, but he is still available. No one else picked him up either. So I think this is going to be the week where we're finally going to put in a bid on him. I, I do agree with you. It was a very small sample size. Let's not judge him based on 21 innings, especially given the fact that so many other Red Sox pitchers, Chris Sale, e- uh, Erod, all these guys, Rick Porcello, got off to terrible starts as well. It, it was for some reason a, a mindset, a, a philosophy that they tried heading into this year to not really have their pitchers ramp it up in spring training. So – I'm not holding that early season woes against Eovaldi. Now that hopefully he's healthy, I would want to pick him up. I wouldn't start him right away, a lot like Nelson and stuff. I'd want to see if if the injury is behind him and if he can fix those early season woes. But we know what the upside is with him, and it's too good to be on the waiver wires, how I feel. So if he's out there, I'm trying to pick him up. Uh, if he's someone else is holding on to him, I might be you know shooting a, a buy low offer trying to get him because – I'm not willing to judge him on the early season 21 innings. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I kind of feel you there. I know he's picked up in TGFBI leagues the last couple of weeks, so we'll see how he does. But good good lineup behind him to also pick up those Ws. As, as much as people don't like the stat of the win, it is a fantasy-relevant stat, so that does factor into it quite a bit. Um, Yadier Molina goes to the IL over the weekend with a thumb tendon strain. This does not sound good for a guy that has to catch baseballs and throw them all game long. That just kind of scares me. A thumb tendon strain. I don't know the exact severity of it. I haven't seen the full details yet. But Matt Weeders has been playing really well in his mainstay. So first off, I don't know if you know anything more about the Yachty deal, who's been a consistent catcher. You know, as bad as catchers have been, he's been there. And then Matt Weeders picking up the slack. What are your thoughts on him as well? I don't know too much on Molina and how, and like exactly how this could hinder him going forward but I will say at anytime you get a a catcher that's 36 years old and like you said it's a it's a severe injury to what he has to do for a living I'm worried and Yadier Molina is a guy who who doesn't take days off and and constantly is playing so that's the the plus of drafting him is you know he's going to be out there every day so like I have him in a in a daily points league and it's a big advantage because so many other people are taking zeros some days when their catchers sit. Not that Yadier never sits, but he's out there a ton. So it was a big advantage having him. I didn't pick up Weeders as his replacement. I considered it. Uh, the thing with Weeders is, one, I think this is a small sample size, and he's hot right now. We've seen a lot of him in the past to know who he is. But also, in this small sample size, he is striking out a ton and hardly walking. And and I was in a points league, so it's a little bit different, but that that obviously is a huge factor. And if he's striking out this much, uh, to me, whenever I see a high strikeout rate for a player, I first I tend to think they're starting to decline potentially, and two, uh, it makes me w- worry about you know falling into a prolonged slump. So 
Weeders is a good option, I think, right now in two catcher leagues. But like mine was what I was trying to replace. Molina was a one catcher league. I think if you're in a similar position, you don't need to go that deep into the player pool. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, Weeders, two catcher league, deep league type stuff. You can take a look at and stream them or something like a week or two, kind of play that game. But he's not going to be the end all be all. There's guys on a lot of the waiver wires like Corey Alfaro, Josh Fagley, and some other guys that I, I trust a little more than, than a Matt Weeders. So it's a good way to go about it. Let's talk about some uh, weekend takeaways here. Some guys that really, you know, donned the the Superman cape over the weekend or really struggled. And we'll start with Nick Pavetta. You know, he made his first start back from the minors, five innings, three earned against St. Louis. But then on Sunday, six innings, three hits, no earned runs, no walks. That was big to me. And nine strikeouts. Like, this was the Nick Pavetta that every fantasy analyst that thought he'd be the next big thing this year was drooling over. We saw it against the Dodgers of all teams. Are we buying this one start? Are we still really concerned with Nick Pavetta? I'm, I, I've been a Nick Pavetta guy, and the best way to explain it is I expected to have a ton of him heading into the year. But then everyone else loved him, yep. and his hype was getting too much, and he got filled with helium, so I had no shares of him. But when he got dropped, I picked up a few of them. So I've been stashing Pavetta. I was very, very excited uh, after what he did yesterday. And my biggest thing, I'm looking at his pitch usage. He, he cut really cut down on the use of the forcing fastball yesterday. And I was reading some stuff on Twitter that when he fell behind in the count, he was throwing his slider and curveball more than he ever has before. And the knock on Pavetta, if you remember when he got sent down, was it, it's not the stuff. It was just that he was so predictable. So seeing him mix it up and change who he kind of has been as a pitcher, I, I think that's the last step for him. We all believe in the stuff. We all be- we know he has the swing and miss ability. This was against the Dodgers yesterday, a team that does not strike out a lot. So we know the stuff is good. It was just he needed to work on his selection and, and his repertoire and not being as predictable. That was a big problem for him. So I am. I think the arrow is heavily pointing up for Nick Pavetta, and if you were patient or, or you picked him up and waited on him, I think you should feel very, very good right now. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think they're going to ride him out the rest of the way. So ride along with him because we know how good he can be. It's kind of funny. You, you mentioned you didn't get him because of the helium, and I didn't get much of him. It was that that threesome for the most part of like him, Bieber, and Eduardo Rodriguez. They were all getting drafted around each other. And for a while, it was Bieber, Stanley Malone. Now he's kind of getting hit a little bit his last amount. Now Pavetta's coming up. Erod's been kind of a mess. It'll be kind of interesting to see where that all ends when the season ends with those three that kind of were all the hot names at that point in the draft. Kind of yeah, I was, I was on Eduardo Rodriguez. I, I like Jimmy him. Nelson. I've been an Erod fan for years, a big believer of him. And this year, I, I think he should be so much better than he is. He I, be. I, I still start him in my I, – I own him in tout, draft and hold. I start him every week. Yeah, because, it's hard but, not to because the talent's so good. Yes, and, and – Everything in the numbers says, hey, this guy should be a lot better. It's, it's a matter of don't walk people. I know it sounds so simple. <laughs> I know it sounds so simple, but we said with Robbie Ray for years, too. Just don't walk people, and this stuff is filthy everywhere else. Yeah. Uh, and I, you hit the nail on the head. It's right there. And then the other thing I'd look at is I haven't dug deep into it. It's the thing Jason Collette does so well is he looks at a lot of guys' third trips through the orders, and it feels like when Erod's dealing and then has his issues, it's like the fifth or sixth inning. So I wonder if it's something along those lines also. But, yeah, we'll see. Let's talk Miami Marlins. Yes, I am talking about the Miami Marlins, which might just turn everyone have turned the podcast off, but I apologize. Um, their offense has actually been pretty good of late. They've called up some youngsters. We don't have to go in-depth on all of them, but if you have any takes on, you know, Harold Ramirez has come out of nowhere, hitting 373 early on, a pretty high bat, but before 36. Brian Anderson is like the little engine that could. He just continues to get it done. Had a really good May. Um, his, his overall numbers don't look great, but his May numbers were tremendous. And then, like, Garrett Cooper is just stroking. He's a big add over the weekend. Um, what's your thoughts on this Marlins offense? Like, is it really fantasy relevant, or is it just kind of a little hot streak we shouldn't worry too much about? Probably a little bit of both. Uh, like, I, I will say I added Garrett Cooper in multiple leagues last night for very cheap. I, I don't believe it, it was like a buck or two bucks or like one or two percent depending on the fad but I, I like what I see so far out of him he's showing us some power he's hitting for a solid average so and another thing 
the strikeouts have not been an issue for him this year like they had been in his previous you know cups of coffees in the big leagues so I'm intrigued with what he's uh, giving us right now. And I, I picked him up in a couple of leagues, and I'm actually starting him in those leagues I picked him up this week. So out of all those guys you brought up, he is the one I'm most interested in. Although I will say Brian Anderson never seems to get any any sort of credit, and he is, uh, he's been going under the radar for like a year and a half now. Yeah, it's crazy. Like He almost goes undrafted in 15 teams leagues. He's probably on over half the waiver wires out there. And all he does is get the job done. Like the biggest thing with him is he's, his power isn't great, but there's there's improvements on the power time and time again. So this he, eventually he's going to put it all together. He's be one of those guys where the the launch angle hits the exit velocity and he's going on a tear, and you're going to wish you you had him because he's very very good. But not it, it's just harder to you know 10, 12 team leagues hard to roster him with what else is out there. But fifteen teamers, I think he should be middle infield. He's got so much multi position eligibility, which is huge too. All right, J.A. Happ. This is a guy that everybody loves for their consistency year in and year out. He's really kind of struggled this year to put it together. He's given up 10, uh, home runs in 10 of 12 games. He's pitched. His last couple starts have been great for the fact that he struck out 10 Royals in six innings two starts ago. And then his last start out over the weekend, on it was Friday night or uh, Saturday, five innings, uh, one earned, two walks, five Ks against the Boston Red Sox. Pretty good stuff there. That's a lineup that can thump on some left-handed pitching. What's your thoughts on Jay Happ? Do you think we're going to find the guy that everyone wanted to trust, or is it still kind of a case-by-case basis? I, I want to buy in and say he is starting to turn it around, because if you do look at his game logs, there are two ugly starts. Uh, one of them was against the White Sox, where he allowed six earned runs in just four innings, and then another he allowed six earned runs in three and two-thirds in Baltimore. Other than those, it's there was two outings where he allowed four earned runs, and then everything else is three or less. So, that's eight of 12 starts and three earned runs or less, but he's just not going too deep into games consistently enough for my liking. Like you look at his last few games, it's five innings, six innings, three and two thirds, five and a third, five, five and two thirds. So we're talking about he hasn't gone more than six innings since the end of April. That's the whole month of May. So I want to buy back in, but I still, I can't with confidence say, hey, this is the guy that we're finally seeing the Jay Happ that we paid for on the draft day. I need to see a little bit more. I need to start seeing him go a little bit deeper in the games and see him put together a string of maybe like three, four consecutive outings like he has the last two, and then I'll feel be more on that bridge. Right now I'm I'm excited, but take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. Let's talk about a guy that many analysts, experts had as either just barely in the tier one of starting pitchers or just barely outside the tier one going into draft season. I'm talking Trevor Bauer. And as quirky as he is off the field and on Twitter and everything else, that's up for another debate on a different show. But when it comes to fantasy, he used to be elite. He started out the season being just outstanding. But it's been a disaster of late. Now on the season, a 387 ERA and a 4.48 FIP. That worries me some. The strikeouts are still there. But what's your thoughts on Trevor Bauer? Because this is seriously a, an issue. Yeah, it is. And he's getting fewer batters to swing and miss his uh, pitches out of the zone this year than last year. Uh, swing and strike rate is down a touch from last year, but it is still great. Uh, my theory on Trevor Bauer uh, is kind of his pitches have so much movement that I think batters are just laying off anything that is not a fastball. Not not saying they fully are, but watching him, it feels like every count is going 3-2. And maybe it's because batters can't, on, on the pitches they do swing on, they're, they're not making contact. But I don't know. I don't know what exactly is wrong with Trevor Bauer because I, I own Trevor Bauer in a lot of leagues. I had him as my SP5 heading into the season. There you uh, go. Yeah, I was very, very high on him. but And, and watching him, the stuff is still good. He still has a lot of movement, but – for some reason, and the worst part is he's pitching in the AL Central, and it like you look at his game logs, and there's so many games that I, at least myself this year, I've been like, all right, this is the game where Trevor Bauer reminds the world he's Trevor Bauer, and then it doesn't happen. And like he had a game this year against the White Sox. I thought, all right, he's going to be great. Seven earned runs. Two starts later, Baltimore, seven earned runs. So it's just been so frustrating, and a lot of it, a lot of the damage against him has come via the long ball. Uh, he's allowed 10 home runs already this year, but still, uh, there's there's something off with Trevor Bauer right now, and, and it's frustrating to me as someone who 
who has a lot of uh, stake invested in him this year. Yeah, I saw somewhere that I believe it's um, even Bieber might be in the mix. But Bieber, Carrasco, and Bauer for sure, they're like all three of those in the top five and like hard hit rates in baseball or most barrels or one of those uh, stat cast metrics. When you're looking at a guy like Trevor Bauer, obviously I'm, I'm with you. I thought he's going to be an elite talent this year. I have no problem if anybody had him in their top five or whatever. I think it all made sense. There's great arguments for it. You're not going to give up on a guy this soon, but the question would be, would you be looking to buy low on him or do you think it's going to be too hard to get him at a low price? No, I would be trying to acquire him uh, just because I don't think it could get any worse than it is right now. So if this is what, if you buy it, if you could buy him, you know, for a discount and this is what you get going forward, you still know you're going to get a ton of innings pitched out of him. You're going to get a ton of strikeouts. He's just going to hurt your ERA, ERA and whip. But the upside, if you flip him and he, you know, turns it around, that is potentially a league winning move. So anytime there's something like that where, there's so much upside with a pitcher, and, and especially one like Trevor Bauer, who did it last year. Who's it's not like he's old and declining. He's 28 years old, and, and again, watching him, I'm I'm a by the numbers guy, but also just watching him, seeing the movement he still has on his pitches, like the stuff is still there. It's just something isn't clicking for him. I, I'm having difficulty pinpointing what it is, which I think could be why he's been struggling for so long because. Maybe it could be something mechanical that they haven't been able to find yet. I, I mean, we have no reports that he's not fully healthy. So I, I just I, – I don't know what's wrong with Trevor Bauer right now. I'm not going to pretend like I can fix him. But I, I'm hoping that the Indians can. And I think the upside, is it's worth going out and trying to acquire him right now. Yeah, the health is the one I'm curious about. Because with the mechanics thing, if anyone's going to figure it out, it'll be Bauer with his driveline crew. Like that's – they have all the stuff in the world to figure that one out. So we shall see. I, I, I think I know your answer here, but I'm going to throw it out there for the listeners. With the struggles in that staff, you have Carrasco, you have Bauer, you have Kluber. Who do you want out of those three the rest of the way? It would be Bauer for me. Okay, that's what I figured. So I want to clarify for everybody. Let's stick in the AL Central, Zach Plesak. He's made two starts. First one was really good against the Red Sox, but not like overpowering. Two Ks and five and a third, one earned run. But the pitch great against the White Sox. Yes, the White Sox. But we just mentioned how Bauer and others have been hit by the White Sox. Seven innings, four hits, one earned on a solo shot. Seven strikeouts. He's pitched great. One four six ERA with a four one nine xFIP, and he's getting some BABIP luck. It looks like, but so far so good. And he was picked up in some leagues this week. What's your take on Zach Plesac? Because right now there's holes in the Indian staff. Sure, Kluber comes back soon, but it almost feels like if this kid can keep pitching. Pitching well, he's going to stick, but what's your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with you. I think if he pitches well, he'll stick in this rotation. Uh, uh, And, yeah, maybe I worry about, you know, what happens if all five of their other pitchers are healthy when we cross that bridge because there's no guarantee, especially with pitchers at the big league level. So I do think if he pitches well, at least for the foreseeable future, he will have a spot here. I I like him. I I don't want to say he's one of – these elite, you know, next big prospects that you have to get. And no one was bidding on him as such, but what he showed us a, a little bit in AAA this year, he was averaging over a strikeout per inning, pitching well there. And he's always been, he's not going to give you, you know, an elite strikeout rate, but he's a guy who can give you between eight and nine per nine. And throughout the minor league level, he's also been a guy who's been able to, to you know, pitch very effectively and have a sub three ERA at, at, the vast majority of the levels that he has pitched at in the minor leagues. So I am, I am intrigued with what we've seen out of him so far. Uh, I tried to get him in the great fantasy baseball invitational last night. I had a bid for 35 bucks and I found out uh, Chris Meany who won him for 50 had him for 35 until the last, he said the last few minutes he decided to increase it. And I was the runner up at 35. So I was a little bit upset at that. But with that being said, if I picked him up, I would be hard-pressed to start him this week against the Yankees, but after that, I know the schedule lightens up for him. So I think you pick him up, you sit him this week, and then you start using him after that. Yeah, I didn't put him – well, we'll talk about him in the fab. So, yeah, I, I'm with you at Plesak. I think he's going to be very streamable, especially in the AL Central, someone to keep in mind there. Let's go to a guy, Adrian Sampson. He was really bad to start the year, really, really bad. Um, for a guy that does DFS, I got to target him early and often. 
But when you started to look at him, they, you know, he started by himself on Sunday, but he, they started using the opener with him. His last four appearances slash starts, he's been great. At least five innings, one earned run or less than three of the four, two, three, eight ERA, three, six, six XFIP over those four starts and 23 Ks and 22 and two thirds. So he's been good there. We still know what can happen with Adrian Sampson and that ballpark's lively. What's your take on him? Is this a guy that we might be able to, you know, in the deep leagues, take a look at, or are there other concerns here? Well, first, I think uh, one thing that Samson and many pitchers are are pointing out is that we need to change uh, the rules of fantasy baseball. So many leagues, you get points, or, you, or it's a category for the quality start. And the numbers that you just spat out in the last, you know, the last four outings, he's been amazing. Like you said, in those he's getting wins, but in those leagues with quality starts, he's taking a yeah. hit there. So just wanted to point that out because I'm in a lot of quality starts leagues and. That even is becoming a thing of the past now with the opener. But I am intrigued with what Samson's done as of late. Like you said, I, I mean, two of those four games were against Seattle. The other uh, one where he really dominated was the Royals. But you get the Cardinals mixed in there as well. Not the hardest of opponents, but he can only pitch to who they put out in front of him. And he has been pitching very effectively. Not going to give you, like, a, a ton of, of depth. He's been going about five innings per start, except for that one against the Royals will per appearance, sorry, but he's a guy who I think is more on the radar in a 15 team league. He can be streamable. Uh, I would be picking him up there in 12 or shallower. Uh, like he's available in my 12 team leagues and he is still out there. So that tells you where I'm at with him. Uh, he's more of a 15 team league guy to me, but I, I give a lot of people credit because I, I wrote him off early in the year, like I, much like you, like this is going to be a guy that we're able to stream offenses against. And He's really turned it around, and people have started to notice. So kudos to him, and kudos to those for staying on top of the ball and not just writing this guy off on the year for you know the first after the first six weeks. Yeah, I think there's something there for sure. Like you said, if it's quality start league, that that does take a massive hit. And that's the thing with the openers. As great as it is, maybe for a team or some different ways of fantasy, it affects the quality starts. And just always remember when it starts heating up in Texas things might change a little bit, but you can use them on the road or some other nice matchups. Let's stick with one of his teammates, Lance Lynn, signed with the Rangers in the preseason. Many thought, uh, we'll see. It's been really you know, rough for Lynn in Minnesota. Goes to, to Texas, starts off rough. But since April 28th, his last seven starts, six in, I picked this number because he's thrown six innings or more in every one of those starts. Only one of those starts did he get beat up where he gave it five earned. Now he's at home against Toronto. Could have been a hot day. I don't know all the stats there. Outside of that, he's been electric. He's only given up three home runs over that stretch, one game in Houston. Otherwise, no home runs for Lance Lynn. Like, these are big stats. There's more stats I can name off, but I'll let you talk here. Lance Lynn looks like he's figured something out. Are we buying into Lance Lynn? Yeah, I am. And in uh, one of my home leagues, I it's out of $100 fat brand yesterday. I, I won him for five. So I, I was pretty aggressive trying to get him. And I'm glad you picked out since 428 because – when I was looking over his game logs yesterday, that was the date I pulled up as well. And like you said, he's a different pitcher since that date. The ERA, while it's 3.30, the FIP is 2.74. Even the XFIP at 3.55, that's fine when that's you're getting – era of baseball. Yeah, exactly. And you're getting over 10 strikeouts per inning. And I, I bought into Lance Lynn. I think uh, he is one of those pitchers that – I'm not going to use him every time he pitches, but I'm going to have him on my bench, two start weeks, good matchups. That's when I'm looking to get him into my lineup. He's not a a must start by any stretch, but I mean, you even look at it. He's faced uh, Houston during this hot streak and pitched well against them. So it's not like you can't use him in the right matchup, but tough games at home. I'm going to look to sit him in, but he's definitely a guy that you can stream that you can use in two start weeks and then I feel comfortable, at least right now, going forward. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, I'm, I'll admit I was wrong on that one in draft season, but I am all about trying to right that ship the rest of the way with Lance Lynn. I'm, he's reminding me a lot more of that Lance Lynn prior to 2018 when uh, things were all going well for him. A couple more to talk about here. This one sucks. Um, Keston Hira, I wrote up the, uh, the outline. I said, Keston Hira is here to stay. And then within an hour or two later, Keston Hira is option to AAA. And that is bad stuff because when you tell me a guy's hitting 281 with his 363 Woba, he's got five home runs in his short time in the big 69 plate appearances, 
Sounds good to me, especially with the other offensive troubles in the Brew Crew lineups. What's your thoughts on this demotion? And I, I, I would imagine you're not dropping here, but what are you doing with them if you don't have room type stuff? Yeah, so I only have one share of Hira, and as of right now, the plan is to stash him, but that's going to change. Like It's on that team, like I said, where I have a lot of injuries, and there's no minor league spot, there's no injured spot, so depth will be tested. And I think, though, when it comes to a player like Hira, I'm trying my hardest to hold on to him, unless it gets to a point where I literally I have no other option. I need to drop this guy. He's the worst player. He's the most droppable player on my team, something like that. But other than that, I'm trying to hold him. He is not getting sent down at all for anything that that he has done, in my opinion. But I tweeted this out a little while ago, but uh, this year in the big leagues, uh, he's hitting 281 with a 333 OBP, five homers, nine RBIs, and a 250 ISO. That's in 69 plate appearances. Travis Shaw this year at the big league level has a 163 average, a 266 OBP. He has four home runs, so one less, eight RBI, one less, and a 119 ISO in 154 plate appearances. He has fewer home runs and RBIs in almost 100 more plate appearances this year. And in AAA, it's, again, not not a question of whose numbers in AAA were better this year. So I'm not saying Travis Shaw should be relegated to the bench or to the minors or anything like that. What I had envisioned happening, I thought Travis Shaw would kind of become this team's super utility man, playing some games at third base, some games at second base. So if you're not comfortable with him there, uh, you could put him back at third and put Moose at second when you sit uh, Big Keston. Uh, and then – I thought maybe he could get time at first base too because Aguilar, I mean, they quit on him after a month and, and then Eric Thames hasn't been, he's been playing effectively, but I thought, you know, neither one of them is doing anything to warrant not giving up some playing time to Travis Shaw, but just to send him down after, you know, he's been really, really playing well as of late. The strikeouts were an issue early on in the season, but over the last week, he's cut that down. On the year, it's 33% the strikeout rate. Over the last week, he cut that down to 22%. Uh, he has three home runs at, as of late. He had a huge home run the other day against the Pirates. I, I just I don't know why what he did to get sent down. To me, it seems something like they know Travis Shaw is a, is a veteran. They could get him up there. They know what he is, and then they could manipulate the service time of another uh, you know young and up-and-coming star. Yeah, that's got to be what it is. That's pretty much the only conclusion I have is, there's no reason why they couldn't have kept him there, move Shaw to first base, move Moose to first base, whatever. Because Aguilar and things aren't really cutting it. At least Thames can platoon in the outfield if you need him to. Uh, Aguilar can go to the bench and figure things out or go back. to. He's got options as well. He can go to AAA also. Uh, there were decisions that could have been made there, but I think you nailed it with the last part. It's a service time thing. And people don't understand this. Sure, your clock starts when you get called up, but when you go back down, your clock stops again. Like, it's, it's X amount of games. That, that matter. It's not just when it started. So, yeah, it's, this one sucks. Like, I, I was bummed when Nate Lowe went back down, and I'm still holding him where I can because, you know, he gets called up for two days and he's back down again. That one I don't understand at all. He's better than any option they have at first base. But these teams just play these games, and it sucks. And sadly, he's going to lead to another strike, I have a feeling, unless they figure things out because you can't keep doing this with the talent pools that you have down there for the fans and just for the players in general. But uh, it sucks. It really does. I agree 100%. I think another strike is coming. I don't get the Nate Lowe one at all. But what I'll say is, like in, so like Carter Keeboom, a couple months, remember like six weeks ago, he was the big thing. And, and one of my home leagues, someone spent $31 on him and then dropped him. I picked him up from nothing. And we have a minor league spot. He, he's in he's in one of my minor league spots. Did so. the guy that dropped him not have a minor league spot available? He did not. He's uh, stashing some other bigger name prospects, and I guess he decided that Kibum was the most ex- the most expendable for him. But I- I'm a believer that these guys, if we liked them before they got called up, we have not seen enough of them at the big league level for that to change anything. Continue to stash these guys. Be on the lookout for if they get dropped. I'm already getting a ton of questions. Should we drop Nicky Lopez? Uh, I- I- I've seen leagues where, like in one of my leagues, Brendan Rodgers was just dropped. So uh, of these big name prospects, we're seeing them. People aren't very patient with them, even if they spend big fab on them. So I do think there is always a buying opportunity there. And uh, I, I actually have a question for you. Yep. Is 
Are, are you in a, well, first, I guess, are you aggressive at, at bidding on these prospects when they get called up or do you believe that it's not worth the necessary fact? This past year with as many as we have, I have not been as aggressive. I haven't landed any of them. And it was, oh, I, okay, I landed Nate Lowe in a 14-team, the Barf League in the Bay Area with Mason and Eno and those guys. I landed it there. Like TGFBI 15-teamers, I didn't land any. I came close on a few. But for me, it was, it's not that I didn't like these guys. Like Austin Riley, I thought should have been up last year. I think he's an absolute stud. He's panning out. But there's also the parts that are scary. And I'm trying to, I guess, kind of nickel and dime it the best way I can. And then I picked up guys that have been dropped, as you said. It's kind of gotten lucky this year. But back to your initial question, I have not been as aggressive this year. I don't know what it is. I think I'm kind of like a woman scorned from last year. I went big on a couple guys that just – it didn't pan out. Let's just put it that way. And it just buried me because then I had no fab left or anything like that. And I know that's no way to go about it. But so far, so good this year kind of playing the game I'm playing. I don't judge anybody that does it. That part annoys me when people start saying you shouldn't do this or shouldn't do that. No, because – you know, all it takes is finding that Austin Riley or finding that Juan Soto. For every one of those, there's probably 20 guys that aren't going to pan out. But you got to take the chance. They're a lotto ticket. So I totally get it. Somehow I just haven't been close enough yet. Some I've been way off. Some I've been a little closer. Because my, my thing is I, I have been aggressive on these guys this year. And, I, I again, not nearly as aggressive uh, for many of them as it would have cost to get them. But I, I've been throwing in some big bids on them. And I think it's going to – Maybe not in like the, the you know, the NFBC and those guys, but I think with like the, the more casual player and stuff, they're going to be a little bit more hesitant to get yes. in on these top prospects for sure. Because like you said, Austin Riley is, has been awesome, but there's 10 other guys who, 10 other, you know, people who spent big fab on other players. And right now they're, they're wishing they had that fab back. Yeah. It, it'll be fun to see how it goes more so next year than this year, like you're saying, because everyone that has spent pretty much out of cash anyways. So like I've heard some guys in like the main event leagues and everything, they're down to like 50 bucks or less for the rest of the year. Wow. And that's crazy. Like it'll work. Like you can make it work, but that's the fear I have because it's like you put all those bids in. And if you go big in reality, you only want to hit one of them. Yes. You don't want multiples. I saw guys get multiples and then you're sitting there going, Oh shoot. <laughs> because <laughs> if, if, if they both fail, I just spent like 600 bucks and I'm done. Or it's, it's just one of those weird situations. So I think maybe that's why I was kind of hesitant. It's like one thing when it was maybe Nate Lowe when he came up, he was kind of by himself. So it's like, okay, I'm going to go all in on this guy. But then when like Fabagin happens and there's five guys that you got to go put anywhere from 150 to like 300 bucks on, that can get dicey if it doesn't work out so well. <laughs> so um, I think that might have been why I was a little more hesitant during the, that week than others. And, and Fabageddon makes me laugh looking back on it because yeah. – I got Oscar Mercado for dirt cheap in a number of leagues because he was basically the overlooked one of the six. And I'm very happy with getting him for cheap so far and not paying up for some of those other guys in the places. All those stolen bases. Yeah. I'm I'm sad that I didn't get Austin Riley, but Mm. what it costs to get him, it just – I, I couldn't go there. It was over 350 in a lot of leagues. Yeah. I was saying 35%, but when we're talking now, we're, we have to start getting like higher than that. That's it's it, to me, it gets to the point where it has to hit or else I'm putting myself in a huge hole. Well, that's kind of my, my not my problems, not the right word, but kind of my, my hindrance with it at times. It's okay. If I go and get this guy, it's awesome. Cause like you're saying, and I'm saying Austin Riley. Yeah, sure. He's turned out great. Something that sounds better using him as the example, but, I was really high on him. I, I, I loved what I saw last year, loved what I saw this year. I thought there was playing time for him. That's another thing. The guys I went more on, I trusted playing time. That's something that obviously hasn't panned out for Kesson here and others, but that was the Riley situation. But the thing that I've been doing this year with all the injuries, I've been doing a lot of like anywhere from 15 to say $45 guys, and that still adds up over time, but not getting that $350 Riley, that gives me like 10 more of those other guys I'm looking for, if that makes sense. And that kind of keeps my lineup stable throughout the year with just the chaos that happens on, on the IL and whatnot. Yeah, and I've been in the vast majority of my leagues handling it the way you did. Like, on Fabageddon, the most players I got the most shares of were Nicky Lopez and Mercado because they were just cheap. cheap. Too. Yeah. yeah, and then, like, I play other players that I, I've been aggressive on in Fab this year were Alex Verdugo when he came up in a league that, that he wasn't owned already. Uh, I got... 
Hunter Dozier at the start of the year. I got Corbin Martin when he came up. So I was I was aggressive on the players that I wanted, but not the those guys weren't costing, you know, 35 plus percent of my fab. I was getting them for like 10 percent. Yeah, for sure. Um, last thing on this real quick. NFBC, you know, as you know, you can't add a guy unless he was either drafted or has played at least a game before Sunday. Do you think the way we're seeing the chaos this season that they might change that rule? No, they, they, I, they seem like a group of guys who they like. They're that's the the way they play the game, and and that's you know I don't foresee that changing. Yeah, no, and I don't care as long as the rules are the rules. It's you learn to play by the, the rules you have. It's just it's be interesting to see how that all comes to be. All right, last uh, piece of weekend news I want to talk about is Dansby Swanson. Just for the fact that it makes a lot of people cringe talking about Dansby Swanson, but this guy is good. He was like undrafted in almost all leagues, uh, unless you're super deep or NL only. NL only was drafted, but a lot of leagues he did not get drafted. Where he was going was late in drafts. Already this year, he's tied for fourth at shortstop and home runs with 12. He's hitting 264. He's uh, in the top 10 in WOBA at the position. He's playing great. He's crushing lefties, if you look at that number. Uh, the, the strikeout rate's below 20% this year. Are you buying into the former number one draft pick, Dansby Swanson? I am. And in one of those leagues where he was undrafted, uh, I needed a middle infielder, and I picked him up, and I have not looked back, and I've enjoyed it. He he started last year. We saw the – I think this was like a two-year development with Dansby Swanson. And last year we started to see him lift the ball more. In 2017, he had a 29.4% fly ball rate. That jumped to 37.6% last year. This year it's 37.5%, right on par with last year. But we also started to see him hit the ball harder last year from 29.3% in 2017 up to 35.6%, which is about league average. And now he's taking that next step and he's hitting the ball hard 45.5% of the time. So you have a guy hitting the ball hard well over league average. He's lifting the ball more than he he recently had. So I buy in that this power surge that he has had this year, he's going to break his uh, career high in home runs before the all-star break, I bet. Uh, I get it. It's a juice ball. We're seeing more home runs than ever. But Dansby Swanson, he bought in. He started lifting the ball, hitting it harder. And I, I think it took him a little bit of time, a little bit longer than people wanted to to really come into his own. But he's striking out less this year than he has in any other year. The walk rate is a little bit lower than what it's been, but still not really too far off of what it was last year. He's having his best year so far, and I believe that this is the real Dansby Swanson. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm all aboard this train. I've kind of, I was pushing him a little bit last year. It didn't quite pan out, but when I wrote up my my deep sleepers at the position, I was like, you can't go wrong taking this guy late if you want to try, or at worst, putting him on your watch list because the talent level's there. It's just a matter of time, and then hitting between Acuna and Freeman never sucks. So that's going to help a kid out a lot. Let's talk a little bit here about the fab from this past week, uh, the week 10 fab for TGFBI. As usual, we'll talk about a few of the guys that got uh, added in quite a few places or the expensive guys have some fun with it real quick. Uh, Mike, what league are you in? Uh, I am in, I forget which league number I could check for you though, real quick. Well, no, real quick. Who was it? You said, um, Means beat you out for the police act. Yes, I'll, t- I'll tell you right now. Then what league you're in? Uh, Zach police act will be all the way at the bottom. You got him for like I'm fifty bucks. So you're in league twelve. Yeah, that that sounds right. There you go. All right, let's talk about a few of the guys here. We don't need to talk about Addison Russell because I don't want to talk about Addison Russell. But um, Gavin Bichio is apparently available in one league. Still, he went for two fifteen. That's interesting. But let's talk about a fun one here. Devin Smelter, great last start out there. He went in a handful of leagues. He went from $3 in League 3 to Tanner Bell, all the way up to $123 to Mark Abel of League 20. This is the fun part about the thing Mike would like to do is just show the spectrum of the prices, which is crazy. But 3 to 123 what's your thoughts on Devin Smelter with the Minnesota Twins? I'm excited about him, and I, I did have a bid. I had 35 on him as well. I was the runner-up again for him. He went for 47 in my league. I was a little bit sad about that. Pitched really well in his first outing so far this year, and you look at it, I don't know what was going on with him in AAA this year, that his strikeouts were so down, but 
every other year besides uh, what he's done so far this year at the AAA level, he's been, you know, pretty much a strikeout per inning arm. Going to give you a good ERA. Uh, doesn't walk a lot of batters, which is awesome in a young pitcher that too many times they come up, they put themselves in trouble by walking too many hitters. He has good command, this guy. So uh, I am excited about Smeltzer uh, going forward. And I'll give uh, credit to where it is due. Uh, Michael Salfino of The Athletic wrote an article this week. Actually, I think it came out today about how the Twins have pitchers have such an advantage because the AL Central has – I I think he used OPS. It has a, by division, it's the worst OPS in baseball. And if you take out the Twins lineup, my God, is it terrible, that division. So, yeah, he's going to be in a great position to get a lot of wins. He's going to be facing these dreadful, dreadful lineups in the AL Central, which, I mean, a lot of these teams are going to be sellers, right? So they're going to probably get even worse. And I I would be buying into him right now if, if I could. Yeah, I like Smeltzer quite a bit. Uh, I did not win the bid. He went in my league for where'd he go? He was oh he went for seventy one bucks to uh, Kenneth Lee, the guy that's running away with our league and trying to get the overall. He went for seventy one. I had him for thirty one, so he outbid me by forty, and I was a second place bid. So that was quite the different one there. Uh, DJ Stewart, we don't have to go deep in this. What I just wanted to mention, and with the Orioles, you got to keep an eye on him. He went from five twenty eight bucks, a lot of pop in the minors. Uh, they just called up Chance Cisco. And eventually we'll get Ryan Mountcastle, so keep an eye on that kind of stuff. Uh, Garrett Cooper, mentioned him, from anywhere from 2 to 28. Um, Harold Ramirez went, as we talked about him. But let's go to the next one here. John Duplantier went from anywhere from $6 in League 20 to Jeremy Hubbard to $83 to Ryan Owen in League 4. The next closest was $33. So he went from 6 to 33 in almost the others, but then 83 to Ryan Owen. Duplantier's got the pedigree in the minors. We know how good he was there. He's been up and down this year with the D-backs, pitched okay against the Mets, as you probably watched that start. What's your thoughts on Duplantier? I admittedly was not high enough at all to get him in any of my leagues uh, when Fab ran this week. And and I do love – I think what you do here is a great topic because the the wide range uh, of Fab here is – it's pretty astonishing that he went for six and then 83 in one league. But I, I do think right now he's a pitcher that I'd be okay taking a flyer on. I'm not, you know, rushing to get him in my lineup by any stretch, but he pitched well, like you said, as of late. And he's a guy that I'd, I'd be looking to take a cheap flyer on, put him on my bench and see if I, if I could find anything in him going forward. Yeah. I'm with you there. The talents there. I'm just curious. And, you know, he could be one of those guys that gets yo-yo to the minors, to the bullpen, could be a little stressful at times. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to uh, to trust them after what we've seen what they did with uh, with Kevin Crone. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned it. We don't have to talk about him, but how you already talked about guys like Brendan Rodgers and Carter Keyboom that just got dropped. Crone got dropped after he went down. He got picked up twice this week. One for two dollars. One for thirty-two dollars. If he comes back, that's a steal. If you can stash him for two bucks, that's the kind of stuff to keep your eye on. As you were talking about earlier, um, I just want to mention that we don't have to talk about Kyle Gibson at all. I like what Kyle Gibson does. I think he's a good starter. I think he's got two starts this week. I love that. No, why Brett Sarah hit paid two hundred and twenty seven dollars for him. I'm guessing he had an ex, extra number he wasn't planning on hitting, but uh, that's that's a fun one there. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. went for four dollars in League fourteen to Scott White to as high as two seventy six in League four to Richard Holman, one eleven in League twenty to Michael Mollenbud. League twenty's been active. Um, Lourdes big year towards the end of last year got hurt. This year it didn't pan out. Went to the minors, got it going. He's hitting really well since his return back. Do you have any thoughts on uh, Uriel Jr.? Yeah, I'm very intrigued with him right now. Like you said, he played – he had a really good year last year. And then uh, this year, while he had to get sent back down, he didn't get off to a hot start. He's been really, really hot as of late. And I'll give credit where it's due. Uh, My buddy, again, Frank Stanfield on that team that we share, he was all on him uh, a week or two ago. So we've been riding out with him now as our middle infielder and – if, if he's still available, I, I think by now in most competitive leagues, he's probably picked up. But if he is still available, I think right now pick him up and at the very least right out the hot hand. Yeah, noted about it. A couple more here. Miles Straw. People saw him run wild over the weekend, especially on Sunday. And it's pretty funny. He went in 12 different TGFBI leagues. He went for as low as $2 in one to as high as 117 in another. Um, the spectrum is pretty crazy there. We know how fast he is. To me, the reason why I didn't go crazy on straw, and I, I, I bid, but not crazy, is the playing time concerns me once everyone gets healthy. 
But what's your thoughts on Miles Straw for now? Yeah, the playing time is definitely a concern, but I wrote about him today on my Patreon page. I said, listen, pick this kid up if you're in need of stolen bases. Who knows how long it will last. Uh, you know, once they get healthy, he's no longer going to be a factor. But stolen bases are still the hardest offensive category to find in fantasy baseball. So anytime there's a guy on the waiver wire who can give you steals in bunches like Straw can, and like we've seen Straw do this past weekend, I think he needs to be owned. So I'm guessing the, the person who played uh, paid up $117 very much is in need of steals. That's the only reason I could see going that high. I We were like – me and, and like Frank on um, the teams that we co-own and stuff, we decided 12 bucks to bid. And uh, I, I know people got him for that. People, as we're seeing here, got him for less. So I think right now he's a great cheap source of speed off the waiver wire. Yeah, and I'm with you. That's why I put in a bid for him because I, I wanted the speed for the time being, but I wasn't going crazy because I'm, I'm a realist here and I'm pretty sure he's going to go. Dalton Del Don got him in my league for 65. I'm pretty sure I had like a 25 to $30 bid on him, something along those lines be cool if it fell on me. If not, it is what it is. But, my friend, Mike, that'll wrap us up on the fad. That'll wrap us up on the pod. It's been great chatting with you. Before we sign out, launch again, let everybody know where they can find you and what you got coming up. Yeah, you can find uh, my work again. We'll find me at Twitter on Twitter at Michael F. Florio. Uh, my work, I'm over at Fantrax. Also, Fantrax is a great spot uh, for any of you people, any guys or, or gals thinking of starting up a dynasty league or you just want to start to get your toes wet with uh, some football, best ball drafts. Those that's where, you know, fan tracks is, is a great resource for uh, on their website though. A ton of articles, football and baseball. Uh, the best spot for my baseball work is my Patreon page. I got content coming out there daily, exclusive content. No one in your league could see it unless they uh, subscribe to the page. And yeah, those that's the best spot to find me. Awesome, man. Well, Mike, Appreciate you joining me. It was a lot of fun. We'll have to sit and chat sports again some other time. Sounds good, man. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. All everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 176 with Mike Florio, talking Week 10 Fab and much, much more. Catch you guys later.